Hey everyone, Annalisa here. This week the guys got a little carried away and recorded for over two hours, so we're splitting it up. Part one debuts today and part two next week. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to episode 278 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. This is Ben Olson in Vienna, Virginia. With me is Nathan Fox in Stateline, Nevada. How's it going? Uh, it's going good, man. It's, uh, we've had that weird warming period. So it's like all the snow now has sort of turned to ice. So we're back in the shoulder season. It's not really uh ski season anymore. I mean, the resorts are open and stuff, but hmm. that's only Wait. for tourists now. Did you say sh- shoulder season? <laughs> yeah. Shoulder season. I've never heard that. Uh, yeah, that's the term for, um, when you live at a, like in the place like where I live now in the mountains, it's summer is like high season and winter is high season. And the in between, like when there's not enough snow to ski or good enough snow to ski, but it's too cold to go to the lake or hike or whatever, then like, I don't know why it doesn't make any sense actually that they call it shoulders. I guess your head is the peak and then the shoulders are lower. I, uh, I, I guess okay, is what okay. they like, mean. Yeah. But okay. it's uh it's just a quieter time where there's not, you know, well, I mean, of course it's COVID now, so it's always a quieter time. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, shoulder season. What's up okay. with you? Um, uh, like I was telling you just a minute ago, uh, figuring out the, the new algorithm was exciting. Um, it's much more robust than the last one, so I'm sure people will be happy with it. And that launches before the end of the year? That is the plan. I hope so. Yep. That ain't happening. Come on. It's the 23rd of December. <laughs> I don't know. I was just talking to our developers. You're turning more. into an actual software developer. <laughs> you <laughs> you can't you can't give a reasonable actual estimate of this when is true. This is true. It's really hard, man. I mean you keep looking at it and you're like, okay, just a few more things. We're just there. And then it's just something else takes longer than you expect. That said, um, our developers are mostly overseas. So they don't, they don't take holidays as much as, as <laughs> oh, we do. I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Cool. We'll see. Good luck. Yeah. Thanks. Today on the show, um, we're going to have another Hills to Die on. Thanks, Annalisa, for suggesting that segment. Um, I think we're going to talk about whether or not to take notes during you're studying. Someone is asking about some versus most language in logical reasoning. We also have a 21 point improvement report. That's exciting. We'll go over test 65, section four, question 15, logical reasoning and A's personal statement. I don't know who A is, but thank you for submitting your personal statement. This will air on Monday, December 28th. Uh, The February LSAT flex registration deadline is just around the corner. Uh, That's Wednesday, January 6th. If you are taking the January LSAT, uh, my gut says you should just sign up for February right now. Unless you really shouldn't be taking January, then maybe you shouldn't be taking February. But you have to make that decision now and you can't register later. And it's one of the best ways to potentially alleviate stress on test day we say over and over that you should treat your official tests just like any other practice test, right? It's just another practice test. You're just continually improving. Well, if you're only registered for January without the February test behind it, then you're going to have a hard time selling yourself on the idea that the January test is just another practice test. Like it's human nature. Cause it's, it's true that like, Oh, well that's the only one you're registered for. Then now it's a different thing. It's not, you can't tell yourself that it's just another practice test. So unfortunately, uh, I hate telling people that they should unnecessarily give extra money to the law school admission council, but you don't really have any choice since the deadline for February is before the January test. I mean, I suppose you could register for April and skip February. That, that's a, that's an okay strategy. But I don't know if you're ready for January, then you should probably just get right back on the horse and take it in February. Yeah. If you I mean, need to I, take it. 
as you were talking, I, I started to think it's kind of like insurance. You get it right. so that you have it if you need it, but it's great if you never need it. It's also like an option, right? It's like you've you've made the reservation in case you need it. Mm-hmm. You you have the option to take it. You're paying two hundred dollars for the option to take the LSAT in February. Yep, it's not cheap. I I feel you. It's an expensive option to buy, but the stakes are high enough on the LSAT that it can make it totally worth it to hold that option. Even if you know if you decide not to exercise it, it's like a good thing for you. Mm-hmm. I actually I really like your insurance idea now, Ben, because nobody wants to collect on their fire insurance. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you have the fire insurance. You hope you never need it, but maybe you do need it sometimes. That's why you have it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, yeah, I don't know. It's a bummer, but if you're fully prepared and you're ready to take the January LSAT, you're going to take the January LSAT. Yeah. Maybe it's worth that insurance policy of signing yeah. up for February as well. Yeah. So the, um, the January LSAT, starts Saturday, January 16th. The February LSAT starts Saturday, February 20th. That's that. If you have questions, email the show at help at thinkinglsat.com. Send us your selfies. <laughs> Last week's picture of our listener at, <laughs> what was it? Walmart or something like that? Anyways, Target. Target. Oh, Target. Okay. Yeah. Um, then that was great. We we love seeing stuff like that. Also, leave us a review months on iTunes. Pregnant Vicky with her LSAT demon shirt on, getting harassed at Target. Yeah, that's good times. That was good times. Has anyone sent us favorite moments from the show? I don't know if maybe we should just give up. Maybe on this. people don't have any favorite moments from the show. <laughs> maybe episode <laughs> three hundred will just be nothing but dead air. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's, well, if there isn't any out there, maybe uh, let us know that you have no favorites, but you're still willing to listen to us. (laughs) Um, Okay. Got a fee waiver, Nathan? Yeah, we are super proud of the free resources that we're able to offer. Not just the 270 something episodes of the Thinking LSAT podcast, but for a living, we produce the LSAT demon and we have a free version of the demon that we really think you should try not only that, but if you do qualify for the law school admission council fee waiver, we, we see we can't be in the business of assessing need. So we have abdicated that responsibility onto a much larger organization, the law school admission council. They have a fee waiver program that people in need should be applying for. Like you're crazy if you have financial need and you don't apply for the LSAC fee waiver. Yeah, The LSAC fee waiver is worth $1,000 Easily, probably more than that. You get Mm -hmm. two two tries at the LSAT. That's worth 400 bucks. Credential assembly service is another couple hundred. Bunch of reports. That's another couple hundred. Plus every law school in the country, give or take, will waive their application fee if you qualify Mm -hmm. for the LSAC fee waiver. So you, you have to go to the LSAC website and apply for the LSAC fee waiver. If you have any credible chance of getting the fee waiver, if you do get the fee waiver, we will honor it with four months worth of the demon basic or 20% off any plan. If you somehow qualify for the fee waiver, but you actually have money that you want to spend on LSAT prep, we'll still give you 20% off of uh, a premium or live subscription to the demon. So we want people to study with us for free. If use all of our free resources, please abuse our free resources. We beg you. And if you qualify for the fee waiver, we're going to expand those free resources. Just email help at lsatdemon.com If you get the fee waiver and you want to sign up for one of those plans. Yeah. We have a PSA. So sorry. I'm I'm jumping ahead here, but I, it says you can't read aloud on the LSAT or LSAT Flex. That I thought that was like in my mind, it seems kind of obvious, but it keeps coming up in class. Uh, so Always. I guess it's not obvious obvious to people. Um, you have to. <laughs> <laughs> I requested to put this on the agenda because it has popped up in classes recently, repeatedly. Mm-hmm. That people keep asking me, 
am I allowed to? <laughs> I'm reminded of this one super broy guy that I had in class in San Francisco. This one dude, he was so full of himself. And he asked in class one day, it took him like five minutes to even get the question out because he mm. loved to hear himself talk so much. Mm. But he said, I, I've discovered that I'm, I'm much better at the test when I uh, stand. So am I going to be allowed to stand on the official LSAT? <laughs> and uh, as a follow-up question, I also do much better when I'm able to read aloud. So if, it, if, it, if possible, I would like to stand up and read out loud during my test. Is that something I can do? And this was back in the day of taking the LSAT in person, <laughs> in groups. And it's like, no, you idiot, you're going to be in a room with 50 other people. Of course, you're not going to be allowed to stand up or read out loud. Neither. How would you even do that? Is he doing like the test standing up at his dresser or did he have a standing desk? And did he expect there to be a (laughs) dresser or a standing desk at the I'm a stander as well. Hey, I'm standing right now. You're standing right now. We're both at our standing desks as we record the podcast. So I feel you. I I get it. You know. I'm sure you can stand now during the LSAT flex. If you have a standing desk set up, they can't tell you that you have to sit. Yeah, I don't think they care either. I don't know if I mean, they we even can, know. Please fact check us on that. If you're a stander, <laughs> call the law school admission council and ask if you're going to be allowed to stand at your desk during the flex. But I, I can't. I, I can't imagine that they're telling you, no, no, you have to have a chair. That would be ridiculous. But... You definitely can't read out loud still. You cannot read out loud during the LSAT flex because, Mm -hmm. man, if you had a standing desk, that would make it even easier for Ben Olsen to be hiding under your desk, (laughs) feeding you the correct answers. You could just read the question out loud (laughs) and then Ben could do one tap for A, two taps for B, three Mm -hmm. taps for C, Mm -hmm. you know, and he just, he'd be chilling down there with a standing desk. He'd have plenty of room. Yeah. when I first invented the idea of Ben hiding under your desk and feeding you the answers, I imagined him really crouched down under there. But mm-hmm. with a standing desk, he, he's got room for like a lawn chair much, down there. Yeah, much more he's respectable now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally respectable <laughs> under the desk feeding you the answers. Uh, no, you are not allowed to uh, read out loud. I'm sorry, on the, on the flex because cheating – but they are they are monitoring your audio and your video while you're taking the test. And so, no, you cannot read out loud. Nor can you have, like, background noises, voice, voices, and that sort of thing. Did I say noises? Background <laughs> noises or voices. <laughs> you're not allowed to have that shit in your background because they think you might be cheating. Yeah. So, no, you can't. Uh, it does make me wonder, though. I wonder if anyone has asked for that as an accommodation. Oh, yeah. I know that people have like floated that idea to me. So uh, to, I imagine there's got to have been somebody. If you get your doctor or therapist or who knows these days, probably your priest or your... (laughs) super wise cousin. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like they accommodate everybody for everything now. Like we, yeah. we, we continue to never have heard a story about anyone getting denied accommodations yeah. at all. Yeah. Since we started the podcast, if you've been denied accommodations, we would love to hear about it. Help at thinking But we have never heard anybody getting denied accommodations in the six or seven years now that we've been doing the podcast. So they are giving those accommodations out like candy. And man, if you asked for the ability to read out loud, I can't, what can they possibly say? I I suppose they, especially if it comes with a letter that sounds official. Yeah. And I mean, I suppose that what they might say is no, because if you do that, we cannot, there's no possible way for us to keep you from cheating. But yeah, you read the question, <laughs> like, let me read that conclusion again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Right. <laughs> well, because I mean, there are certain things that there's no way that they would let you do, right? Like uh, my doctor said that I have to have Ben Olsen under my desk while mm-hmm. I take the test. Yeah. I don't think they're going to let you do that. So I guess they have to draw a line somewhere. Anyway, we don't know where that line is. It's unclear. Mm-hmm. As so many legal issues are. Yeah. Um, hills to die on. So today's hill to die on comes from you. And the idea is don't take notes when you study. And I, I agree with a, a, this in a, in a way, and there, there's a small way in which I disagree. So I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. And my guess is we probably end up agreeing on the core idea here. But anyways, this is your hill. So I'm personally not a note taker. I mean, I'm a bad student, mm-hmm. but the LSAT is not a test of knowledge. The LSAT is a test of English, logic, how hard you can work. English is something that develops over time through a lot of reading. I don't think you like necessarily take notes during your LSAT studying to get better at your English? I I don't think so. I think probably just read and write a lot in English. Logic, the logic on the LSAT is common sense. I mean, you know, it might take us five, 10 minutes to explain to you that like formally the difference between sufficient and necessary, but it's also common sense that a seventh grader understands And so you just need to kind of practice it. And then the how hard you can work component of the test, especially as demonstrated, I think, by the LSAT's logic games. Taking notes doesn't make you work harder. So I just, I don't know. It's similar to why I don't want people to highlight on the reading comp. Because when you highlight or you underline, I think you frequently do that as an excuse for not actually understanding. In my experience, when I see students scribbling page after page after page of notes, I, I don't see them making as much progress as students who are just engaged with me. Mm-hmm. I would so much rather have your camera on eye contact, ask me a question, nod if you understand, shake your head if you don't understand, you know, give me a thumbs up if you get it, give me a thumbs down if you don't, give me one of these if you don't, I don't know, like, but like, participate, feel it with me, let's let's have a conversation about it, instead of page after page after page of like, furiously scribbling down every word out of my mouth. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I agree with you 100% on that. It kind of reminds me of like even law school classes, which is a, a much more like knowledge-based test than the LSAT oh, is. Oh, totally, yeah. But there's, all the, there's definitely like this weird struggle I had where I'd be taking notes, and as you're taking notes, you're not really listening to what the teacher is saying right then or what the argument. And it's like, what you really need to do is walk away with the key idea. You're like, Oh, especially in the first like six weeks of each semester, right? Mm -hmm. The first six weeks of each semester, the professor's up there rambling on and on about the Magna Carta and Blackstone and what the law isn't Mm -hmm. (laughs) what the law used to be. Yeah. And sure, it's fascinating. Oh boy, the glorious evolution of the law. But yeah. they're not testing you on Blackstone. They're, that shit's not going to be on your final exam. Yeah. They're trying to get you to think think like a lawyer. Yeah. They want which, you to understand that progression so that you can see how it's happening today, not so right. that you can then like ha- provide some exposition on <laughs> where it was. Yeah. And and that's the problem with notes is because now you're like, wait, what did you just say? And you don't give yourself time for comprehension. Comprehension requires that, that like you're talking about, that engagement that like, I'm listening to you. Oh, I hear you. And then when you're walking out of that classroom, you're like, I get it. Like it changed. And you may even make some realizations. The law changed because of this. In your case with the LSAT, which is what people actually care about here, is Oh, okay. Yeah, that 
I understand what the person was saying in that argument, and I understand why that answer choice is better. And then you move on. Whereas person taking notes is probably like, yeah, I got some key words from the discussion, but I'll have to go back and kind of look at that question to really understand it. Oh, well, that was a waste of time. The argument, like I'm, I'm thinking about LSAT logical reasoning. The argument is there on the page. It says what it says. The question says what it says. The answer choices say what they say. Mm-hmm. If you start taking notes, you are necessarily going to be writing down fragments or you're going to be paraphrasing. You're going to be leaving shit out of that argument. And every word matters. You're not allowed to add to it. You're not allowed to subtract from it. It is what it is. So I'm thinking about the student who you love this student, right, Ben? Well, but it says most strongly supported. So when it says most strongly supported, I do X, Y, Z. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. And I I just, that's what, if, when I look over people's shoulders, rest in peace, live classes in person. But when I used to be able to look over people's shoulders and see what they were writing, yeah, that's what it would be. It would be like most strongly supported. Yeah. What? <laughs> that, that language could be used on a supported question or that language could be used on a strengthened question. I have no idea what we're talking about if you yeah. tell me most strongly supported. So this is why yeah. I think more than anything else, I'm willing to die on this hill of just don't take notes because your notes don't mean anything. Don't yeah. highlight, don't underline, because none of that shit means anything without the context surrounding it. Okay. Anyway, do you want to push back now? Yeah, well, I feel it actually, coming. Ben's about to drop the hammer on me. <laughs> no, I've seen this uh, Hills to Die on on the agenda for a while. And my reaction is like, wait a sec. Um, you're going to die on this hill? Like, you, you don't take notes? And I wonder if it's what we're thinking of when we talk about notes, because when you're talking about this class stuff, I'm 100% on board. But when I'm thinking about someone sitting at their computer studying and they're debating between two answer choices, when they start to write like an ask button request or something like that, I I imagine that a lot of times that's helping them articulate and sometimes resolve the question on their own. And so I see that as a form of notes. And I'm like, now people do that overboard. So if I had to decide between no notes or notes, I'd say don't do notes because some people waste too much time writing things. What I would like is for people to write these pithy, like, okay, C is correct or better than D because, and they actually put it out there and they they force themselves to get concrete as opposed to sloppy, which is like, yeah. oh, it's a better fit. And so if they're doing it right, I could see some value in there. And so then I'm like, well, I don't want to just like blank- blanketly get rid of all notes, but maybe that's not what you're talking about, or maybe it is. I don't know. Ask a specific question. By all means, please ask a specific question. Hit the ask button in the LSAT demon and write down as much as you can about why you're confused. What is it about that wrong answer that you think might be okay? What is it about that right answer that you don't really understand why it's correct? What is it about this question type that you don't understand? Is there, you know, you don't understand the argument, whatever it is, right? Ask questions, show up to class, turn on your camera, be brave, ask me a question. If you, if you can't turn on your camera, that's fine. Ask me a question in the chat. Tell me what you don't understand by all means. But see, that's why like note taking is like people writing down what they think they do understand. Mm -hmm. And they're almost always wrong. That that's what I really don't like about note taking, right? Is that people have these half-assed things like they they think oh you know they oh i've solved it now i'm mm-hmm. going to write down instructions for myself on what i'm supposed to do mm-hmm. and they don't ever seem like they're hitting it on the head i mean what you really need to do is just do another lsat question and <laughs> try to get it right 
Mm-hmm. And when you don't get it right, okay, then there's something there that you don't understand and you need to try to clarify that. But I don't, I just don't know that people are really capable of getting takeaways that have any meaning. Now, if you're scoring 170 and you're trying to get to 175, mm-hmm. then maybe I'll give you a little bit more credit for being able to write down key takeaways. But if you're scoring 140, trying to get to 145, there's vastly more that you don't understand than you do understand. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, so you writing down some weird notes, and I, I just don't. Like, how about that student who has a page worth of notes on necessary assumptions? Yeah. It's like, whoa, okay. How about a flashcard? Like, if you want to write down verbatim, a necessary assumption question stem mm-hmm. or que- we just call it the question these days. I'm trying to get rid of all of that, like <sighs> overly fussy LSAT language, sure, including yeah. stimulus. The I stimulus. never want to say stimulus ever Ugh. again. I never want to say stem again, if I can avoid it. It's just the passage and the question or the argument and the question. Anyway, if you want to write down, the question verbatim now, not just a fragment, but a verbatim question. And then on the other side of the flashcard, it says necessary assumption. Okay. Maybe that would be useful to drill, you know, and in another flashcard, you've got a couple, you've got a sufficient assumption question stem and it says sufficient assumption on the other side that could be useful. Another useful flashcard would be, it says necessary assumption on one side and on the other side, it says, which one must the author agree with? Right. So mm-hmm. it's a clear, here's the analysis that I'm going to do when I encounter a necessary assumption question. Okay, fine. Flashcards. Fine. But boy, lengthy notes on every class what, what are you going to do with that? I don't, yeah. I don't, I, I'd much rather have you just participate than try to be a stenographer. Yeah. Plus we got the live transcription now anyway. So you don't, you know, definitely don't need to be a stenographer because it's just appearing there right in the zoom. Yeah. So maybe the takeaway here is don't take notes, but if you are unclear about anything, you have a question then that's okay to articulate that question and write it down. I mean, that's that's a form of note-taking, but it's it's really to ask a question. And it may be something you send in the ask button request, or it may be something you write down for yourself to then ask in class or something like that. Yeah, ask your teacher, ask your study partner. Um, I'm not saying don't ever write anything down, mm-hmm. but I I think you need to be you got to be double. What I'm saying, I guess, is that you got to be double checking that stuff. So I would much prefer that you ask a question than you just write down notes. I, I like there are endless students scoring 150, mm-hmm. taking page after page after page of notes that's getting them absolutely nowhere because they're all muddy, they're all confused, and mm-hmm. their notes clearly indicate that they're totally confused. Yeah. And so instead of all that, you know, they should be like, okay, teacher, or okay, study partner. So on a paradox question, what I do is I figure out what the mystery is, and then I find an answer that solves that mystery. Mm -hmm. Is that right? And if someone said that to me, then I would go, yeah, okay, I I think you get it. That sounds like a pretty good method to have on a paradox question. Great, good. I don't know. I just don't think that that's necessarily note taking. <laughs> that's more like participating in a conversation with your teacher or with your yeah. study partner. Or if you're, well, what I'm thinking is you're studying on your own and you need to write down these questions. But that's a, the notes, notes that you're taking there in air quotes are really questions that you've articulated in such a way that you're not being lazy and just saying, hey, can you help me with this? Which is great. Yeah. I'd, I'm glad that you're asking for help, but it's much better if you say, all right, this is where I'm struggling, and this is why oh, yeah. I'm struggling. Oh, yeah. Uh, a plea for help is much better than a page of notes. 
I would I would just much rather have you if you're in my class, I would much rather have you drop a line in the chat. Hey, I'm confused about X, Y, Z. I think that moves the needle so much further than you furiously scribbling down everything that I've said in the last 10 minutes. Yeah. Cool. Um, some versus most. You got this one? It says, I am struck. This is, by the way, uh, please email the show help at thinkinglsat.com. You will hear your email, your question read on the show. <laughs> we just had this lengthy discussion about how you shouldn't really be taking notes. Instead, you should be asking for help. Well, you can ask help at thinkinglsat.com if you would like to get yourself on the agenda. Uh, it says, I am struggling with LR stimuli. <laughs> We're going to call that passages or arguments either way but not mm-hmm. stimuli. <laughs> no one says stimuli ever in real life. I mean, maybe if you're like a scientist. Who started that, by the way? Was it PowerScore? I feel like it was. I don't know. With their it TM was... stuff. I, it's, <laughs> it's actually always bugged me because for the longest time, I was like, stimuli? Are you talking about like, is the question stimulating like a response? Like I, I just avoided it. And I use passage because, you know, some of those passages can be argumentless, but... Whatever. Right. Sometimes it's just a fact pattern. Sometimes it's an argument. Either way, we can call it a passage. I like that so much better than stimulus. <laughs> and then the plural, stimuli. <laughs> okay. We're going to get rid of all that bullshit. All right. I am struggling with LR passages that use some slash most language. I just can't seem to wrap my head around how I should be answering sufficient assumption slash inference questions. Oh dear God. With these types of passages, man, there's, it continues, but what (laughs) you, it's not, we're talking about passages and then we're talking about question types and (laughs) we're talking about the language of a passage. And then all of a sudden we're conflating that with the question type. Huh? It's two, two question types have, that are very different from each other. <laughs> right. I have, a, I have a feeling that this person is reading the question first. Mm. Oh, right? and then like, yeah. Oh, by the way, people who say stimulus and STEM very frequently want you to read the STEM first, right? So, I, <laughs> and now, and then they mention some resources here that are kind of suspect. I'm sorry, y'all, but... He goes on and says, I have read the loophole LSAT trainer and reviewed the seven sage section for existential quantifiers. (laughs) And it's just not sticking. Okay. Hey, Ben, what the fuck is an existential quantifier? I have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea. What are you talking about? What? Wait, hold on. I'm going to take notes on this. Um, (laughs) Yeah, totally. Exactly. Let me furiously start scribbling down. I've got it. Existential quantifiers. How do you spell that? Okay, got it. Um, Yeah, this is going to be good, actually. Got to make sure. Oh, yeah, because see, now you know, now you know, Ben, that I'm a real LSAT teacher because I'm talking about shit that is words that you don't understand. And we're going to get into some real arcane knowledge now. And it's going to be really difficult for you to understand this. So you should take f- copious notes on what. And Fuck off, man. <laughs> We're going to dig what? into existen- existential quantifiers. <laughs> existential next. quantifiers, Ben. Oh, my God. I'll finish the email. I'm getting around minus four per s- section. And of these four, there is almost always a sum slash most question that trips me up. Can you help? Wow, this person actually sounds like they're doing pretty well despite their um, unfortunate exposure to existential quantifiers. (laughs) Minus four is not bad. Yeah, it's all right. I mean, it indicates a real gap in understanding, right? If you're missing four, there's probably another four that you got right, uh, even though your footing was sure. kind of unsure. Yeah. But this is the sum versus most 
is super, super simple. What does some mean? Some means at least one. So if there are a hundred people in your gym and you say some of them like bananas, well, then at least one of them likes a banana and maybe all of them do because at least one just means one or more. Um, that's, that's all it means. It's pretty common. Some means one or more. So anywhere from one to a hundred, if, if a hundred is all. Yeah. Some means one to a hundred. What but does most mean? Most is just more than half. So again, if your gym has a hundred members, then 51 or more of them, potentially all of them, like bananas. That's what you know. And that's, <laughs> and that's what you don't know too. You don't know if it's 51, you don't know if it's 60, you don't know if it's a hundred. Um, right. so, but you do know it's 51 or more. Yeah. So some just means not zero. Some means one or more. It's a very broad category that includes all. And it also includes just one. We don't know how many, but we know somewhere from one to a hundred. We know it's not zero. Right. Most is more specific. Most is harder to prove. Most gives you better information, really. But it's a higher standard, right? Because most means 51 to 100, if 100 is all. And if we're talking about discrete variables, 51 yeah. to 100. Yeah. It's not that complicated. I mean... I guess maybe people haven't thought it through in LSAT terms before, but some means one or more. Most means 51 or more. That's it. Now, <laughs> this business about, I can't wrap my head around how I should be answering sufficient assumptions slash inference questions with these types of stimuli. I guess we can address that. Those are two extraordinarily different question types. In fact, they might be the most different question type. Sure. I'm thinking what this person is doing is what you suggested earlier, which is they're reading the question first, right? And then they're trying to tackle this and we can which, jump into to these. be clear. I'm suggesting you absolutely do not under any circumstances, read the question first. Yep. If you do that, you are going to get yourself into the kind of rabbit hole that I think this person is going down. Yeah. Understand the passage first. <laughs> like, take it one step at a time, man. Do You are going to have to understand the passage, no matter what type of question this turns out to be. So read the passage first and make sure you're clear about what's there. Understand each bit of it separately. Understand it in context with itself, if there's an argument there, you got to find the conclusion and the evidence that supports that conclusion. That's, by the way, the definition of an argument. And if there's not an argument, if it's just kind of like fact, 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 well, then you got to notice that as well. Okay, they're not actually doing logic here. They're just giving me some fun facts about whatever. Then we move on to the question. And they might ask you a sufficient assumption question, or they might ask you an inference question. We call that a must-be-true question, or maybe a supported question if it's a soft must-be-true question. But at that point, I think what he's asking about here, or he or she is asking about here, is answer choice strength. Yeah. So before we get there, I just want to add one more thing. So you you said, hey, don't read the question stem first or question question first. Just don't read the question first. <laughs> read the passage, which I hundred yep. percent agree with, of course. Okay. Um, and you also said make sure you understand it. That's you're going to have to do that, and that's what this person is struggling with, right? I can't seem to wrap my head around how I should be well, how I should be answering, but really they're struggling with the passages that deal with some and most. So here's my specific advice for these kinds of passages. I'm imagining that this person is encountering a passage that has words like some and most in it. It's probably shorter. It probably feels more formulaic. All I'm going to ask is, I'm doubling down on what you said. Make sure you understand it. 
and I'm going to say that the way you try to understand these passages, which is actually the same way you try to understand all these passages, but let's just make this perfectly clear. Try to visualize what they're talking about. So when someone says most animals in this forest migrate in the winter, I imagine to myself, 100 because it's convenient, 10 because it's convenient, whatever. I imagine 10 animals and I'm thinking to myself, most of them, so six or 60 of them, are leaving the forest and I see them leaving the forest. I don't draw like, you know, some diagram for (laughs) some. I imagine the actual event taking place and I apply simple numbers, usually six or 10. In your exact example, I think you would you would actually imagine uh, six out of ten, mm-hmm. or ten out of ten. Exactly. Right? You said yeah. most of them leave mm-hmm. the forest. Okay, so you're imagining. Oh well, then at least six of them are That's rolling exactly out. Exactly right. I Maybe know all that of them six are, are left, out. and the four remaining may come too. And I am aware of that. Right. I'm sitting there. Six and I'm of thinking, them have hmm. to go. Mm-hmm. Four of them might go. Mm-hmm. That's what most means. Yeah. What if it was some? If it was some, then I would see one walking out of there right away. And I could imagine a few others, maybe all of them leaving as well. But the point here is that it's a concrete visualization. When I do this in class and people are struggling with it, what they say, oh, this is formal logic. It's, I don't understand. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, it's like, okay, let's imagine. <laughs> Ben, it's existential quantifiers. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. Well, not if you think us, of it that not. way, it's out of this world, so you can't, yeah. you can't follow it. For us, it's fucking deer leaving the forest. Some deer left the forest. Okay, that means one of them walked out of the forest. The other ones are kind of, mm, maybe we go, maybe we don't. Could be we all go. Could be none of the rest of them go. But one of them has to go. That's what some means. Most means more than half. So six out of the 10 leave. The other four, maybe they leave as well. We don't know. That's what most means. Sometimes I get Existential quantifiers. <laughs> Sometimes I get pushback on this and people say, we don't know how many deer there are. And I'm like, does it matter? <laughs> it doesn't matter. They just said there's no. a group of deer, so I'm going to make it 10. Why make it hard for yourself? Or make it 100. Right. It's a very easy numbers. They're easy to deal right. with. And then when they say some, or no, then they could say something like, most of the deer who left perished. Ah, if we combine two of these together. Yep. Most of the deer left the forest and most of the deer who left got run over. Yep. So now in my head, I'm I'm imagining six have left for sure. And then I'm going to keep it simple for now. And I'm just going to say, okay, those six left. Well, most of them died. So that means at least four of them died. So now and the numbers can change. Yep. If all 10 of them left, because most includes, mm-hmm. you know, if 10 is the number, most means six to 10. So you could think about the extremes, right? Yep. I mean, I would do this instantly, by yeah. the way. This is, and, and it's not specific LSAT training either. Mm-mm. This is problem solving in junior high, to be honest. I mean, yeah. high school at the most. Most of the deer left, and most of the deer that left got splattered in the road. Mm hmm. Okay, well, if the minimum left, that's six. Mm-hmm. And if the minimum of those got splattered, that's four. Yeah. So the minimum that could have got splattered here is four. But if most of them left, and that means all of them left, which it could. And if all of them got splattered, then that could be all 10 of them. Yep. And then splattered in the road. If it's a quote, inference question or really a must be true question. And it says, which one of the following must be true? And one of the answers says, most of the deers got splattered. Mm -mm. You'd say, wait a sec, one extreme, which was possible, only four of them ended up dying. Four had to die, but that's less than half. So this answer is wrong. Right. And we just did that in our head. We didn't need to draw anything. (laughs) No, and it ain't existential quantifiers either. If and if they said which one of the following must be true, some of the deer got splattered in the road. Mm -hmm. That must be true because six left, and of those six, at least four had to get splattered. 
So some <laughs> means one or more. Yep. Do I have some dead deer? Yeah, I do. I have some dead deer. Sorry, yep. but some dead deer. So some dead deer must have died. Yep. Or some animals must right. no longer be <laughs> conscious. Yes. Some things have perished. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are all great. Yeah. Okay. Um, man, I think we can probably move on. The last thing that I will say is that you know, if you're comparing inference questions and sufficient assumption questions, or I hope you're not lumping those together. Those are vastly different question types. Inference questions or must be true questions are about picking an answer that has to be true. And it's easier to prove shit that has weaker language in it. So if we're talking about answer choices on this type of a question, it's going to be easier to prove some deer are dead than it is going to be to prove most deer are dead as our example just indicated. Yeah. But if we're talking about a sufficient assumption question, sufficient assumption questions are about proving the conclusion of the argument to be correct. And in that case, if I was trying to prove, you know, I think we can use our same example. Most deer left the forest. Therefore, some deer died. Yeah. That's the argument. Yep. Most deer left the forest. Sorry, let, let me change it. Most deer left the forest. Therefore, most deer died. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's the argument. Okay? Yeah. Most deer left the forest. Therefore, most deer died. Which one of the following would allow the conclusion of the argument to be properly drawn? That's a sufficient assumption question. Properly drawn means proven or properly inferred means proven. Sufficient assumption questions are about building a bridge from the evidence to the conclusion and forcing that conclusion to be correct. The argument again is most deer left the forest. Therefore, most deer died. And we have an answer choice that says some of the deer that left the forest died. Ben's shaking his head. How come, Ben? It's not good enough because... If- Why? Well, so if most left the forest... But some could include all. <laughs> but it just could. It doesn't, ha- it doesn't have to, which means right. it's not sufficient to use LSAC's own wording. It's not enough to prove the conclusion, even though it's possible. All it yeah, we don't know for sure. the conclusion is possible. It doesn't say right. that it is true. Right. Some of the deer that left died. If most of the deer left and some of those that left died, then we could prove a conclusion that said some deer died. Yeah. But it's not enough to prove most of the deer died, which was the conclusion in this simple example. It could just be that one of the deer died, not most of the deer. Okay. How about an answer that said most of the deer that left the forest died? So again, the argument is most of the deer left the forest, therefore most of the deer died. Which one of the following would justify the conclusion of the argument? And we have an answer that says most of the deer that left the forest died. Not good enough still, because as we said earlier, right, if most left and there were 10, that means six left. And if most of those died, well, most of six is four. So that's still under half of the total deer population. We know we have four, five, or six dead deer. Mm Mm-hmm. Sorry, actually, we could, could have, have all the way up to 10, 10 deer yeah, if but, all of them left the forest, right? But we just don't know because four and five are still possibilities for our number of dead deer, which does not prove the conclusion that most of the deer died. Okay, so again, the argument says most of the deer left the forest, therefore most of the deer died. And we have an answer choice that says all of the deer that left the forest died. That would work. That would work because if most of them left, that would be six of 10, at least 60% (laughs) greater than half. And if all of them died, then most died. That's, it's just, it's it's as easy as that. Now there are other answers too that could work. Uh, None of the deer that left the forest survived. Sure. Or all living things died. (laughs) Sure. There was a nuclear holocaust and everything on the planet perished. Yeah. that Sure, that would do it. Okay, let's not get too in the weeds. I mean, I think for this correspondent, there's some simple things that you could just memorize. 
None means zero. All means a hundred. Sum means anywhere from one to a hundred. Really wide range there. Most means 51 to 100, still a pretty wide range. And you do have to think about how some combines with some and how most combines with most. But it's just not that complicated. If some of the deer left and some of those died, how many dead deer do we have at a minimum? What? One. <laughs> just one. Yeah. If some of the deer left and most of those died, how many dead deer do we have? Again, it could Minimum just be of one. one. Yeah. Yep. If most of the deer left and some of those died, what's the minimum number of dead deer? Again, it's just one. Okay. If most of the deer left and most of those died, how many dead deer do we have at a minimum? At least four if there are 10 deer. Yeah. And the maximum, by the way, in every one of those examples is 100. Yep. Because mm -hmm. it could be greater. Believe it or not, that's like all there is to it. It's not more complicated than that. It's, That's some it's most in all for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, and I get it that like, I, I, but I think the reason why people struggle and Hey, this is why my core philosophy as an LSAT teacher is to talk about specific questions first, not theory. This student is clearly caught up in the theory mm -hmm. and making it whoa, way more complicated than it really needs to be. Yeah. These issues are not that hard, but you do need to sort them out one question at a time. Note the high level, like I'm getting minus four per section on average. I am continually missing questions that deal with some and most. Okay. But ask your teacher one of those questions, like sort them out one at a time before you move on and do another section sort out those ones that you're already missing because each one of those mistakes contains the solution for the next one. Yeah. You know, that it, it shouldn't, this shouldn't take a month. This yeah. should take a half an hour max. All right. Cool. Moving on. Yeah. 21 point improvement. Good afternoon, Ben, Nathan, and the demon slash podcast team. Words this is my man, David, by the way. I really miss David. He was in the Demon Live classes, like right at the very beginning of COVID. Oh, I feel yeah. like I was hanging out with David during the beginning of COVID. Hmm. Um, and he's gone now from the classes. He graduated. Um, lucky for him. Sad for me. But anyway, this is an email from David. Cool. David writes, words cannot quite express my gratitude towards you all, but I will try exclamation point. I decided to take the plunge towards applying to law school about a year ago and found the podcast in the demon in January. I'm active duty in the Marine Corps. So I was really drawn to the flexibility the demon offered as I could study before and after work. My diagnostic test came in at a 151 and my initial hope was to get into the 160s. Progress wasn't always consistent, but over time it was linear and came in chunks. Uh, by the time August rolled around, I hit 170 a few times and was super hopeful. I crashed and burned in August and October as I received a 161 and a 164, respectively. Mm. My average was a 168 at the time on his practice tests. After talking to Ben and Nathan in class and in office hours, I was confident I could get it done in November. 172! Exclamation point. I couldn't believe it. Your advice on the exam being learnable and a measure of how hard I was willing to work kept me focused during my 11 months of studying. By November, I had taken every test from 50 to 89, some more than once, and I drilled almost all of the questions from tests 1 to 49. When I started studying, I only got five questions right on logic games, and I am confident that my 172 came with a perfect games section. I have high hopes on school choices that would not even be within reach without your help, guidance, and teaching. Thank you, Ben, Nathan, Ada, and all of the tutors for your time and effort. You are truly changing the courses of people's lives for the better. Praise the demon. Feel free to use my name on the show, blah, blah, blah. Um, thanks, David. I asked Annalisa to add this to the agenda because 
He took it three times. His practice test scores were higher than his August and October LSATs, a 161 and a 164. But I'm worried. I'm concerned about all those people who get a 161, then they get a 164, even though their practice tests are higher, and they just say, okay, I can't do this on the official test. I'm done. And if David had done that, he wouldn't be a 172 applicant, which is light years away from a 164 applicant. Different different league. Yeah. I, I'm very proud of David for his work ethic. I mean, you know, he's praising us, thanking <laughs> us. Oh, like, okay, you're welcome. Yeah. But you're the one that did the all the work. I mean, all we do is help you, you know, answer your questions. That's it. So David d- gr- just was really grinding it out. I mean, he did sounds like every LSAT question that exists. Hopefully not every listener ends up having to do as much work as David did, but if it's necessary, you should be willing to do that. I mean, David's career is is now launching on a completely different trajectory. Yeah. Like 164 was going to be good for David. 172 is going to be unreal for David. You know, it's the difference between like getting into Hastings and getting into Berkeley or Stanford. Yeah. It's just like a, I like the launch it's like the the launch angle is yeah. just different. You know, yeah. you're, it's not, it's not like, Oh, well you could still reach outer space with a lower launch angle mm, or, you know, like a lower launch velocity, whatever. I don't, yeah, I'd really understand physics obviously, but like the metaphor I think is apt. If you're trying to make it to Mars, there's a certain <laughs> starting position starting velocity that you need to have yeah and and david took the nine months and the multiple attempts at the lsat you know so that's awesome i mean he's gonna have to continue the work right and do well in law school and all that stuff but the thing is (laughs) the work the work has barely just begun i mean it's like you do that work so that you can be eligible to do much harder work. <laughs> David will be, you know, if David ends up at Stanford, one of my Stanford law students recently told me, and I think that this was the one that was a 4.0 from Harvard. Hmm. She had a 4.0 from Harvard and a 180 on the LSAT. Okay. Wow. She went to Stanford law school and she, she told me, I never knew what hard work was until I started Stanford law school. (laughs) Okay. So, and and I'm sure she'll say that again when she gets into actual legal practice, right? You're, you're like trying to make it to the fucking big leagues here. Mm -hmm. So yeah, David busted his ass to get himself eligible for the next phase of like, but Hey, that's where the Supreme court justices come from. Like Ruth Bader Ginsburg did not get there by being brilliant, even though she was, she got there by never sleeping. Some people will look at this and say, wow, this is a lot of hard work, especially after taking the test twice officially, right? You're like ready to throw in the towel. But when David looks back on this now, and especially five years from now, it's going to feel like a drop in the bucket. Another six months, that's nothing. It's nothing. and it, the, But he's already immediately benefiting from it financially. I mean, he hasn't got the offers yet. He will, though. <laughs> but I really want to start law school this year, Ben. <laughs> it, uh, the deadline that for applications is not until March 31st, and... They, I talked to the admissions office and they said I could take the February LSAT and then apply. And there's another school that said they could take April. So, I mean, February is like so much better than April. And I really (laughs) want to start law school this year. 
So yeah, I understand everything that you're saying, Ben, but I, yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm just going to apply this here and see what happens. See what happens. <laughs> yeah. You'll get in and pay full price or you'll, uh, I don't know. It's just what it is, but we always get in trouble for saying this, but <laughs> you're better off getting the very best LSAT score you can and applying at the beginning of the cycle. Your, your, your odds of making it to Mars or your odds of making it to the big leagues, whichever metaphor you prefer, are vastly increased with the very best LSAT score you can get, no matter how long it takes, and applying at the beginning of the cycle, not the fucking deadline. And everybody's going to be able to come up with an example of someone who, you know, bucked that those odds and got into Stanford at the deadline or, you know, got into Harvard with a mediocre LSAT score. Sure, you can come up with examples of those. But for every one of those examples, there's a hundred who didn't make it. There's a hundred who applied late with a shitty LSAT score and went to a mediocre law school and just did not achieve Mars orbit. So I would say, and this is not our fault too. This is something I think it's safe to say is unique to the LSAT and the law school application process. If you're applying to business school or medical school, yeah, you have to take tests for those applications, but they're not given as much weight, I don't think. Uh, More reasonably so, they look at your long-term work ethic, which is reflected in your GPA. Well, and your actual work experience, right? Like for, for competitive MBA programs, I mean, your work experience matters a lot. And for law school... Yeah, it doesn't really matter that much what you did before you entered wizard school. It's like <laughs> you yeah. weren't doing law. You were not practicing law before you went to law school. You certainly can be practicing business before you went to business school. So work experience matters a lot more for business. School. I mean, it just blows my mind, right? Four years of work at undergrad gets you a GPA that's worth the same or in some cases less than a score that you work for four months to get. People people shouldn't balk at working for a year at this process. It's worth more than your four years. Yeah, and whether that's fair or just or whatever, <laughs> it's really not our concern. That That is the game. The game is the LSAT is right now the most important component of your application, roughly on par with your undergraduate GPA, which... Yep. There's not much you can do to change your undergraduate GPA. Even if you're still in college, a junior or a senior, your GPA is not going to change significantly. But your LSAT score, as David's nine months indicate, can change significantly. Yeah, he went from the middle of the pack to the top 1%. Yeah, 98th percentile probably these days. But... But you know, but you're you're right. He went from right in the middle. One fifty one is like just just right in the middle, and he went from that to ninety. He beat ninety eight out of a hundred other applicants, and that's the kind of work ethic. Like what he did there is he demonstrated to the schools that he is willing to do whatever it takes. He's, he, he's demonstrating because it's a, it's a whole signaling thing here, right? I mean, what David did is he, he signaled to the, to his future employer, right? This is like attenuated. They may not actually ask for his LSAT, although they, they might ask for his LSAT, but future law firm. And even beyond that, like future clients, David demonstrated how hard he's willing to work. He demonstrated his proficiency in the English language. He demonstrated his logical thinking, and he demonstrated more than anything else, how damn hard he is willing to work for the things that matter. And the schools are going to recognize that via the LSAT. The employers are going to recognize that via the school. The clients are going to recognize that via the employer And it's like, he just, he's building himself this foundation for actually fucking doing something in the world. Yeah. Like at this point, whatever David wants to do, 
Yeah. If David wants to get rich, a 172 is an awful good start because that's how you get to big law is you get a 172, you go to a great law school, you do a summer and boom, you're in to a big time law firm making $180,000 straight out of law school. That's what a 172 will do for you. Yep. If Ben wants to make $60,000 a year and change the world, a 172 is how you do that because he goes to whatever law school he wants. Maybe he decides to take a scholarship because he wants to work in public interest, but now he's given himself the foundation to go do whatever work it is that he wants to do because he, he's willing to bust his ass up front. Anyway, can't say enough good things about David. I'm sure he's going to totally kill it. Yeah. Once again, the folks with military backgrounds have a work ethic that uh, really does pay off quite frequently. I can't, I went, man, in my whole career of people who have improved 20 points or more military people are seriously overweighted in, in that sample. Yeah. Because I mean, he's in the fucking Marine Corps, man. He like there's people yelling at him to do push-ups at four in the morning and he just got used to it. Yep. And he's so used to it that he just does it himself. I'm sure, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what he did on the, he did LSAT push-ups for nine months and okay. Yeah. Moving on. Yep. Hey, I, I, I feel like I should make a Canada caveat here to all of our advice (laughs) i always get but aren't there exceptions and canada is a one big exception some of the top law schools maybe all the top law schools in canada don't do rolling admissions if you so to our advice earlier about you have to apply in september you have to apply at the beginning of the cycle Mm -hmm. that's mostly for american students if the school that you're applying to doesn't do rolling admissions then they don't do rolling admissions but if your school does do rolling admissions which most american schools do it vastly is better to apply at the beginning of the cycle instead of trying to apply at the deadline. We okay. need, we need a word for more than most. <laughs> it's almost all more right? than most. Yeah. Well, I'll take a look at that well, existential list and maybe we can find something there. <laughs> <laughs> existential quantifiers, man. I, there, nothing gets me angry more than LSAT teachers who, tr- who, who are, it's as if they are going out of their way to make it sound more complicated than it actually is. Mm-hmm. LSAT teachers, your job is to make it easy for your students, not make it fucking hard and complicated for your students. This shit is common sense. I have no patience for anything. And I, I'm willing to, if, if you think I am overcomplicating things ever, please let me know because I want <laughs> it's, it all makes perfect sense. And our job is to make it make perfect sense. And you having a lesson on existential quantifiers is not helping. It is not making it make sense for anyone. Yeah. All right. That's it for this week. Tune in next week for part two of the show. Please rate and review us on iTunes and send your questions to help at thinkinglsat.com. Check out the LSAT Demon and our social media at LSAT Demon and at Thinking LSAT. We post new content on our YouTube channel every day, so we highly recommend checking those out. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you, and don't pay for law school.